0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today we'll be hearing part two of a two-part series following Easter Sunday. Hello, good morning. I love to hear that microphone working. <laughs> Not my voice, but uh, the microphone working. I uh, just want to make mention of the fact that if you're interested in our phenomenal kids games uh, coming up and uh, sports ministry, uh, you can sign up either online or in the patio. We, we need a few, many volunteers. We'll have 2,000 uh, kids, 40% of them unchurched, on campus with us this year. And uh, it's just a phenomenal time. Uh, Many of you are perhaps new here, and so you're thinking of sport ministry. You've never heard those two words go together. Uh, Wouldn't that be frivolous and fun to do sport ministry? But uh, let me just unpack that for you for a moment. Uh, Those of you in business, you get that, that if you in business tried to carry on a transaction without a relationship, it wouldn't happen if you went up to someone and said, you know, I just want you to know I have this product, this iPad here. Uh, You have money in your pocket. I want your money. Uh, I want you to want this iPad. You got a deal? I'm selling nothing, right? And oftentimes we think that's how we exchange things spiritually. I have Jesus. You need Jesus. I have discipleship. You need discipleship. I have leadership. You need... And really, the way things happen in humanity is in relationship. We, we've just been designed by God that way that I want to know you. I want to know if I can trust you. I want to know who you are. And one of the ways we do that, there's many ways, but one of the ways is sport. Uh, so all I have to do, no matter where I travel, is to show up on a field with a ball and suddenly family start pouring out, uh, but if I show up with a sign, you need Jesus, it just doesn't work, right? So the power of sport is the power of relationship and the power of play for us to just relax and then do business. And so it is a very, very powerful tool, and uh, if, if you could come out and help us, we could really use your help. Ah, well, I get to do this for a living, You know, um, by the way, I I really like this screen. Uh, You know, the forest, it just draws me in. My family knows I love pathways, and pathways are metaphors for what's beyond that and what's beyond that. So I have a zillion pictures of pathways uh, as I travel. But here, uh, I feel like I'm in Narnia. Uh, So I asked Nick Gilmore if I make this pulpit into a lamppost um, and give you... Uh, a fawn outfit, would you come through the screen as Mr. Tumnus uh, with a flute? And some of you are saying, what is he talking about? I'm I'm in the world of Narnia. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's so cool. Is there a unicorn somewhere in there? Well, as I said last week, I want to linger just a bit longer in the resurrection. By the way, we're not... The first. Uh, The historic church has often lingered, uh, as Pastor Orville has reminded me, uh, in the resurrection, the 40 days after Resurrection Day. That just as we have Lent preceding Easter, there's the season where Jesus appeared to the disciples over a 40 day period, convincing them that he had risen from the dead and teaching them the significance of that. Then you have the 10 day Period before where he ascends, and then and then before Pentecost happens with the giving of the Spirit to all of us. So, but my import is for us to understand the power of the resurrection in all of our lives. That yes, because he rose from the dead, that you are now forgiven. What he promised and did on Good Friday is true. Everybody, take a deep breath. Whew, forgiven, right? And because he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, you now are going to live with him forever. Yay. But what happens in between these two events? What what are we supposed to do? And oftentimes, uh, the modern church has been rather absent in talking about this when the culture around us, Both the therapeutic culture, fix me, I'm broken, and the the self-help culture of just, can I be a new me somehow? Uh, Oftentimes we're missing the opportunity here that we have something even bigger, and that is the image of God that you and I are aiming at and God calls us to. So we began our journey uh, last week in Romans chapter six, but here again we're realizing that Jesus, because of the resurrection in your life, is on the loose. And there's no telling, isn't this cool, what some kids did down on the beach last week, two weeks ago. So because Jesus is on the loose, he's on the loose in your life. Good news and bad news, right? What does he want to do in and through you? And how does he want to change you and make you the person that you've always actually wanted to be? but never had the power to get there. We use the word conversion. Interesting word. I think we've shrunk that word down. Conversion. Do any of you in international travel travel with a converter? Conversion doesn't mean check the box, I'm going to heaven, but that's what we've made it to mean. Are you converted? Yep, check the box. Converted is the same word as transformation, to change, to go from 120 to to 220. Uh, Sorry, if I say anything more, I'm out of my league when it comes to electronics. (laughs) But how does this happen? Here's the kicker, and here's what's the surprise for the modern church, is choice is vital. I don't know where it came from, but we have the assumption, because it's grace, and because it's God, and because it's his power, that I'm just a leaf floating in the wind, and I'm just a helpless Christian waiting for God to do whatever God's going to do. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why he doesn't do it. I'm just a helpless Christian, and I don't know where we got that idea. Even John Calvin in his predestination doesn't teach that. So what if your choice is the way this thing works? What if the engine doesn't turn over without the spark plug and your choice is the the spark? Really? Is that heresy? It's actually right here in Scripture. We lost the garden through choice. And choice, I dare say, is a statement of love. What we choose is a statement of our love for each other, for our spouses, for our friends, and even for God. So last week, we discovered that we choose Christ, and we read this scripture last week, beginning in verse three of chapter six. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the symbol of baptism is actually that of a new you. That's the celebration that the old is gone so I go into the water, and I say, Pastor, I've been a sinner. Hold me down a long time. <laughs> and then just pull me up. And, you know, we always have these pictures of these gentle pull. I just picture the pastor grabbing the guy by the, the front of his shirt and just come out and pulling him out and saying, You're, you're a new you. So that image is indelibly on your mind, forever, the initiation, conversion, experience of baptism, then that identity cannot be forgotten because every month or in other traditions, every week, we celebrate communion, which is reminding me again that I am identified in Christ. So you and I are united with Christ. That's our new identity. And that's what we studied last week our new identity in Christ. I love this photo of this that was taken a couple weeks ago at our baptism. This gal coming out of baptism, drying off, and then hanging on to the cross as she gets a picture. Because that's you, that's what you and I, that's your new identity. Everybody has an identity. We use a phrase in our modern lingo, so what are you into? You know, you're at a, at a party, neighborhood party, and you're standing there with an hors d'oeuvre and a drink and say, so who are you? What are you into? So we're, we're finding out what's your identity and say, oh, if you knew me, I'm a huge sports guy. That's, that's me. Or actually, I just retired last week and I don't know who I am because my whole identity was my work. And I don't know. Actually, I'm an empty nester and I don't know who I am. I raise my kids, and so we do gravitate, gravitate towards identity, right? We have an identity. It's our search for meaning, it's our search for purpose, and what Paul says, that in Christ, the Christ event of crucifixion, resurrection, you and I have a new identity, a new default, a new address, a new north. And he says, set your north again. And that's what we studied last week about this new life. So now that I'm fused with Christ, united with him, making him my identity, where do we go from here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Two things, we not only choose our identity, but we get to choose what we do with our mind and we get to choose what we do with our actions. And that's part of the metamorphosis of you and I transforming. We used the analogy last week of the butterfly. Do you remember the butterfly? So this is a monarch butterfly and if you, I used to collect butterflies, sorry. Uh, just, just I, was, I was into chasing butterflies down, you know. And um, we rarely saw a monarch, and partially because we just didn't have the right flowers to attract them. Uh, But a monarch caterpillar is is really quite amazing and gorgeous, but most caterpillars aren't that pretty, right? Just kind of ugly, just inchworms, fuzzy inchworms, making their way along. And, uh, And then they do this, like climbing up a fire pole, just... Heaving their body up the stem of a plant. And then they get to the top of the plant and there's leaves. And this is their buffet. And they spend the rest of their day eating leaves. And then they go head first down the fire pole again. Not feet first, down this stem again, inchworm across the ground to go back up another fire pole to find some more leaves, and that's their life. Then, this amazing metamorphosis takes place. It's the same as a a, a tadpole becoming a frog. All different kinds of species in life do this. Um, Where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And, you know, one day out of the crystalist, there they find themselves floating from flower to flower, from white to red, to blue, to yellow, and all the flowers smell differently. And they never bothered with the flowers before; it was only the leaves, and now they have the flower smell, and now they have the taste. That, that comes with the flower. And that's their life. What are you up to? Well, I'm just kind of floating around. Just floating around, being beautiful. Now, can you imagine if you, Barbara Walters, were to interview a butterfly? And you know how the news is sometimes. Well, come on, don't you ever miss your caterpillar days? Um, don't you feel like you've abandoned your fellow caterpillars by now being a butterfly? You know, the butterfly said, No way. I am not going back. I cannot go back. And I'm, I'm changed. I'm a new creation. That's the picture of you. You have changed by the power of the resurrection. So here's the anatomy. What's involved is choice. Due north, I have a new identity in Christ, and now today we'll talk about how you think and how you act. So we come to verse 11, and he says in chapter six, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires, that we are not to be a a person that's a, a butterfly that says, oh, I just missed those leaves. You can't, I just missed those fire poles. You know, he says, no, count yourself dead to the old life and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen, your perception and your belief matters. Have you ever heard children use the phrase, I know you have, No, mommy, this is make-believe. I'm just pretending to be a nurse. I'm just pretending to be a doctor. This is make-believe. Listen to the phrase, make-believe. You and I have the power, because God created us the way, to decide what we believe And if we believe that Christ rose from the dead and if we believe that we are new creatures in Christ, then we need in our minds to make believe that. Because there's everything in life that's wanting to make your life a gutter ball. To say, no, I know you're a new Christian, but, you know, that's the way your dad was and that's the way your daddy's dad and that's the way you're you're just you're just going to be a gutter ball. You can be a new person in Christ. So he says, in the same way, in what way? What same way? In the same way that Christ Jesus was dead to sin and alive, in the same way now, you are to think of yourself that way. And the word that Paul uses is the word count here, and the the Greek word is logizomai, the root from which we get our word logic Logic. So he says, have this logic. Some people think when they become Christians, you got to cut off your head to save your heart, and that think Christians aren't thinking people. The moment you come in this door, we're going to make you think because God saves your thinking as well. He improves your thinking, He renews your thinking. So We have to think of ourselves as dead. Here's a translation that I like. It can be translated, not only consider, but calculate. Calculate. Calculate yourself dead to sin and a new person in Christ, alive in Christ. And Paul uses this word regarding the mind 50 times. And you'll notice here in the text that it's in the imperative mood, which is a command. This is not multiple choice, this is not if you feel like it, this is not extra credit, you know, if you, if you're, I mean you're saved, but if you want extra credit and you really want to change and help your marriage, if you really want to change and become a better business person or whatever, this is a command. And the command is, think differently. You and I have the power to think and you do not have to helplessly think the way you've always thought. Uh, Aaron Beck, back in the late 60s, early 70s, he was a famous psychologist that was studying depression. And he found out that there was this triad of depression that was common for all people who struggle with depression. A negative view of themselves, I'll never amount to anything. A negative view of the world, the world will never change. And a negative view of the future. And that's the way a depressive person thinks. But did you know that a depressive person doesn't have to think that way? But a depressive person kind of just falls into that rut. And if you struggle with depression, I'm not picking on you. I'm just helping us all to see an example. Another example is my wife. Oftentimes when we're going through one of these gray days, what do we call them, June, June gloom? And, uh, you know, it looks like the ocean is gray. The sky is gray. Life is gray. And my wife will say, oh, my gosh, it's gorgeous today. And I look over at her like, you know, I'll have whatever you're having. This is, you know, we're in two different worlds here. And and I say, can I borrow your sunglasses? I put on her sunglasses, and they're rose-colored. It looks like the Caribbean out here perception is everything so whose perception is right yours 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 we all have a bias we've all been influenced by our environment our upbringing our friends our social media so whose whose perception is right the bible says you have a choice to choose your perception I don't know that's that's incredibly empowering for me. Paul talks about this in other places. In Romans twelve, two, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You know how the world has patterns. You could be happy if you drove this, you could be happy if you lived here. You could be happy if you were six foot four, tall, dark, and handsome. You could be happy if you're you know, whatever it is, you could be happy. And we largely begin to use and learn these patterns when we're in junior high. You could be happy if you had my hair. You could be happy if you dressed like me. You could be happy if you had my grades. We fall start thinking this way, and it's grooming us to always think that someone lives a happier, better life. It's just it's just around us. But Paul is telling us again in Romans 12:2, it's a command. Don't do it. Stop. And do not. It could be translated in 12.2, stop and renew your mind. There's a Christ identity that you can have. Stop your stinking thinking. Your thinking, my thinking, affects us. It, it, there's no question, there is no neutral. What you decide to think affects you. That's why when I get up in the morning, one of the first exercises I do is thanking God. Five to ten minutes of, thank you for that, for that, for that, for that, for that, for that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because uh, the world's not going to give me that. And and not only does it start releasing chemicals and endorphins and all the other whatever things that scientists says it's releasing in me uh, anatomically, but I'm I'm reprogramming my thinking. I'm choosing what I'll think rather than letting the news, the social media, the weather tell me what I could think. When we were uh, ministering for a few years over in South Africa, going back and forth, um, we, we found ourselves being sometimes with uh, victims of AIDS, both parents dying from AIDS. And there was a phenomenal ministry that Kasi and Jenny Karsten started, and, and Heather McNeil from our own church continued for a number of years called Hats and Glasses. So here you are, a child from a township. A township is the poorest. You have never seen poverty till you've been in a township where they just scab wires off of the phone line and off the electrical line into your cardboard house and you live there just next to somebody else's cardboard house and there's a million people in that township, all living in poverty, wishing they had a job. And then you add to that being orphans because of AIDS. So you can see, you're gonna grow up a victim which with an external locus of control. I could only be happy if the government changed If the health system changed, if those people gave me a job, I can only be happy. And what I want to do is internalize what they can do to create their own happiness. And so hats and glasses did that. And they would say, come on, kids, put on your hats. We're going to think like Jesus today. You are amazing. You're beautiful. This is a great day. We'll never have this day again. What do you imagine doing today? And what do you want to accomplish today? Think about it. And then now put on your glasses and see it differently. So hats and glasses is what God offers for you and I. Paul says in Philippians chapter four eight, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Notice he doesn't say, whatever's wrong, whatever irritates you. Can you imagine if, you know, our news, our our, I'm, I'm not bagging on the news, you know, it's just news is news. But it's it's always this happy story at the end of 25 minutes of hell. You know, it's just like, this is wrong here, 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 here. And here's a person that's making a difference. You know, what if we change that? And we spend 25 minutes, it's bad, here, 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 here. Got it? Great. Now, look at 25 minutes of Transform people, transforming their world. I bet it'd become a happier world. We can only dwell on the negative so much. So how does Paul have the authority to teach us this? You wanna say, yeah, but Paul, you saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and yeah, Paul, you were an apostle, and you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Of course you're gonna think this way. No, listen. He's writing it in prison, (laughs) and he may die. And he's telling the people outside of prison, chip, chip, cheerio, come on, it's not that bad. Come on, so where did he learn to stop his stinking thinking and to think positively? He learned it largely in prison. The bad wasn't helping, and he discovered He had a choice. So the cross and the resurrection become a doorway for us to think differently about everything. And you and I have this amazing choice. Now, I want to move on because I'm lingering too long on thinking to actions. And Paul addresses your actions. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death death to life. Offer, Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, when you see the word sin, I know some of you think, well, I don't struggle with sin. Translate it, the non-loving life. You're not to live an unloving life anymore because the antidote for sin is love. So he's really telling us how to live a loving life. Now, here's how we think wrongly. We think wrongly in a lot of ways, but here's three ways I want to correct our thinking. And one of them I've already done, number three. But uh, number one, we think sequentially. This is the way we think. I, I want to be like Jesus, but I first of all, I had a bad childhood, so I need to go back and fix that. And you know, I have a background in therapy. I'm not against therapy. It's a very, very important part of our healing, but oftentimes we get stuck there saying, I can't get to there because I'm stuck here. And then I can't get to there because I can't change my wife or my husband. Then I can't get to there, because Billy Graham hasn't come to our community. And I can't get to there, because we haven't started a Hats and Glasses program. And I can't get, we think sequentially, that these things have to happen. And this is how we think, I first change my thinking, and then I change my actions, so I can't change my actions until I change my thinking, and I've been trying to change my thinking for 10 years, and it's still not working, so I'm, I'm, I'm not responsible for what I do, because I haven't changed my thinking yet. I mean, that is so bogus. It is so Western. It's just not like that. Listen, your actions affect your thinking. It's not just your thinking affecting your actions. Your thinking may be fine, and you start messing up with your actions, and it's gonna start changing your thinking. It really is. So it's a little bit more like Chinese checkers. <laughs> that God's doing all these things all at once. And one of the things we need to do is not only offer him our thinking, but also our actions. The other way we think differently is we think in stages, as if there I've arrived and now I fixed that problem and now I'll move on to this problem. It isn't like that. So for example, if you said to me, well, you know, Mark, I used to have an anger problem, so I prayed about it for seven and a half days, fasting and prayer, and now I don't have an anger problem, I'm amazing. And someone else says, I used to have a greed problem or a lust problem, and now I'm amazing. And the last person says, you know, I used to struggle with pride and now I'm amazing. (laughs) You know, I just want to scream. It doesn't work that way. It's, It's dynamic. I, I need Jesus today, not just back then. There's not a point where he said, Jesus, you know, I'm just amazing now. You, you can go back to doing whatever you're doing around the world because I've accomplished all these stages. The moment I let go of clinging on to Jesus, the moment I just... Achilles heel, go right back to your weakness. So I, I, I need him. So what is it more? It's dynamic. It's more like a dance, where I'm dancing with Jesus, and he's leading and guiding me. He's he's the leader, and I'm the follower, but I can choose to step on his toes or not. I can choose to think along with him. I can choose to respond to his actions. And then, as I said, number three, uh, we're not passive. We're active in responding to him. So he says here, do not offer. And notice, this is such gross language. Uh, It's in the Bible, but it's so crass, Offer the parts of your body. Ooh, in the Bible, you could translate it, offer Jesus your body parts. Ooh, (laughs) ooh. Couldn't we just say, offer him the full and complete you? Why is he being so graphic? Because he knows that's where we sin. Now think with me. Where do your eyes go? Where does your tongue go when you're in a group and everybody's complaining or or uh, gossiping or slandering? My tongue just wants to just go along with them. Where do your ears go? Where does your hands go? Where do your feet? That would be a fun cartoon you know, just to, drive, to draw these big honking feet. And they, you know, I don't, I don't really wanna go this way, but my feet are taking me that way. Well, Paul would say, offer those parts of your body to Jesus. So if you have a problem listening to trash, start offering him your ears in the morning. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of being a trash listener. Here are my ears today. I'm tired of my eyes coveting, envying, lusting. Here are my eyeballs today. I'm tired of thinking. Here's my brain. And you just go right through the different body parts and you realize it really is what he's saying. he uses the word offer. He actually uses this metaphor in several different places. Um, but, but, he, but he uses it in Romans 12, 1, where he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Here he's talking about when we offer these parts of ourselves to him, we become a living daily, moment-by-moment worship service. It's wonderful to have 55 Hundred (laughs) and five minutes here at church, depending on how long the pastor goes. But if you could take worship out into the street, you know, folks, that's where it's at. People come to me and say, "Mark, you know, I'm leaving this church because I need some meat." You know, and they don't really say that, but uh, you know, if, if I would say, "You know what? The meat is on meat is in the street. The worship service is in the street." It's where you take what you've learned, what you're, and now in the moment, you decide I am not going to respond to that person in anger and hatred. Jesus, I worship you. My tongue is yours. Oh, yeah. I mean, the angels are rejoicing on that one. And it really didn't matter if that worship song was rhythm and blues or jazz or rock or high church with an organ. You just please the angels by that decision. You see what Paul is saying here. He takes spirituality out of the temple into the streets. He uses some other, we've talked about a couple of uses of the word offer, offer your bodies to escape slavery. Offer your bodies as a worship service, but he also uses a couple of other metaphors. One is clothing. This is pretty cool for those of you that like to shop. Um, He says, stop wearing what you're wearing. Take off that old you and put on the new you in Christ. Isn't that kind of cool? So the scripture is kind of saying, you know, do not wear that anymore. It's way too tight. It's way too short. I, I can't even tell if those are, are long shorts or short pants. You know, just do not wear that anymore. It doesn't look good on you. And and put on the new you, full of joy and kindness and patience, perseverance. Because it looks so much better on you. Isn't that kind of a cool analogy? the fourth. Metaphor is kind of gruesome. It just says, Execute the old you. Kill it. (laughs) It really, seriously, he says that in uh, Colossians 3 5. Put to death the old you. Stop. We are not doing it. So if you picture that metaphor, it's kind of like there's a graveyard and there's parts of you that just start coming out of the grave. You know, first the kneecaps pop up out of the ground and then the hands start coming out, and you're saying, I'm back. I'm back. You thought I was in Paul says, put it to death. That is the old you. So whatever metaphor you want to use, offer, clothing, put to death, Paul is just simply saying, there's a new you. And we use our new you to make choices. So here's the three things of your butterfly. Your new you, new identity. Set your course. Imagine the new you. Think, new thinking. No more gutter balls. You have a gutter ball? Think, Jesus, forgive me. Old stinking thinking. And then offer. Offer the different parts of you to Jesus. It's amazing. I wanna close with a metaphor that uh, C.S. Lewis uses. It's not the caterpillar to the butterfly and it's not the pollywog to the frog. He actually uses two creatures that have nothing in common with each other just to exaggerate how different the new you is from the old you. The old you he uses as a rabbit, a rabbit. Uh, And then the new you is this new person That's glorified in the image of God. So, listen to what he says. All the rabbit in us is to disappear the worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly, sensual rabbit. And we shall bleed, we shall squeal as handfuls of fur come out, and then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath it all a thing we have never imagined. A real man, an ageless God, a Son of God, strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, and drenched in joy. The new you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're up to something bigger than we can even imagine. And out of the resurrection is something more powerful than we've even dreamed about. And so, Father, we pray, thanking you not only that you're going to make us new with new bodies in heaven, but you're already making us new creations in our character now. And so, Father, we invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to do all that you imagine in making us the new person. And God, we put our hands to the plow to, to cooperate with you, to say yes. We realize, God, that we are responsible and we respond to your grace. We choose a new way of thinking, and a new way of acting by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.